1: Save you from the might of all your sin. This is the fight in which he stands in perfect victory. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin.
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. In the book of Revelation, we have letters written to the churches. Letters written by Jesus. Most scholars would agree that the final letter is written to the church at Laodicea. This is a very Painful letter. On the other hand, it's a letter filled with opportunity. As we face the new year, we recognize this message to the church at Laodicea uh, as being of great import to us. Let me just turn to it quickly. I want to read just a portion. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, the church at the end of time is going to make Jesus sick, feel like vomiting. He said, you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. And then he gives direction for how that can be changed. John Wesley, many years ago, used a term that I've found very helpful. Crisis sanctification. Well what is crisis sanctification I'm not going to go into John Wesley's teaching on this but I will lay out for you today and through the days that are going to come the absolute necessity of crisis sanctification The church at Laodicea has done what all people do eventually but particularly in the age of deception in which we live you remember when jesus was speaking to his disciples and to the people uh, in the book of matthew let's turn and and let me read that quickly for you as well in the book of matthew we have what is called the sermon on the mount now when you come to the end or the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, he says some very specific things that we need to be aware of. He says, and I'll read it for you. um, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That is, in the church today, thousands say, Lord, Lord, we love you. But he says, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You evildoers. Now, if you look also back in Matthew, the 24th chapter, 24, verse 4. They've asked the question, What will be the sign of your coming, of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. The problem with a person who's deceived is they don't know they're deceived, they think they're okay. Well, as we consider this, Lord, help me. I need your help to make this plain. I need your direction for the words to speak. Lord, please help us. Help us to understand and help me to speak in accord with your will. Lord, thank you. Amen. The Essenes were a group, a community, a cult, Jewish, honest, good people. They came together some hundred plus years before the time of Jesus' birth. They prophesied about Jesus. They prophesied that Jesus would come at a set time, that he would be crucified that he would be resurrected, that he would die for both Jews and Gentiles. It's almost a perfect match in every way with the New Testament scriptures. But they also gave a date. Now, they didn't say Jesus was coming again, but they said, in 2025, we will enter into the final age where everything is wrapped up I recognize that and I recognize that the church today is fully vested in the negative aspects of the Laodicean church now I come here day after day To speak a very straight word to you because I want you to be fellowshipping with Jesus Christ in real time. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to be caught in the world, in the flesh, or the devil. I want you to be walking absolutely clean before God. It's of utmost importance that we put away our sin. Now, most of you who listen to this broadcast understand that I preach repentance and holiness. I am a holiness pastor. I'm a revivalist. Now, as we come to that issue, Here's the problem. Almost everyone I speak to has made some progress in their relationship with Jesus. But when I begin to press people on, do you have anything that stands between you and God? They will say yes. But I'm working on it. Well, how long have you been working on it? A long time. See, here's what happens. We come to Jesus. We repent initially of our sins. And those sins may be alcoholism, drugs, fornication, indecency, bitterness, anger, cursing, swearing, smoking, alcohol abuse. Can could be all kinds of things these things are quickly put away by most people. Now, you may not have put some of these away yet, and so listen carefully. The problem comes as we continue to walk in the church and we begin to hear the lies of the modern church, the lies of the Laodicean church, who say, you can never overcome all your sin you're always going to be a sinner and they use western logic to argue the case and it's an utter lie look carefully at at the whole book of first john but in particular the third chapter it will uncover for you the ugliness of this teaching or look at the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. Um, Let me begin in verse five. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self, that is the carnal self, that is the the self that came down through Adam as a sinner. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Well, that phrase, body of sin, might be done away with NIV also wants to say, be rendered powerless. No. If you go to the Greek, it's very clear that the Greek word used here is to utterly destroy. I hear Christians actually arguing that they still have the old man of sin in them, and they're still struggling with that old man of sin. You know what that says to me? They've not been entirely sanctified yet. And so they are making excuses for sin that they've not been able to overcome. One very famous, probably the most famous evangelical pastor today was raised in a home with holiness parents that taught Romans 6. But he was never able to overcome all of his sin and so he made a calculated decision that holiness could not be correct because he could not live that way. And and so he made a decision to go with Calvinism. He made a decision for sinning Christians and he teaches that today. He's a good teacher, but he teaches that lie because he based truth on his experience and not on the scriptures. So we come to this issue of how do we deal with this sin that continues in the lives of Christians today, that drains them of their power, and so they're always... Fighting to overcome their sin so their eyes are focused on themselves, not on Jesus, and their eyes are not focused on the lost and the dying because they're so concerned about their own heart and their own life. I, mean, I talked with one man who's very concerned because he's still caught in sexual sin. He's still caught in anger and rage. He knows it's wrong. He's overcome many sins. He believes he's saved and on his way to heaven in his sin. Where do we get the victory? Over all sin. Well, obviously, in Romans 6, it says we overcome by a total crucifixion. But but John Wesley taught that most of us, well, yes, it is possible to overcome all sin at conversion. He said in his experience, most often that did not happen. On the other hand, he taught very clearly, and I agree with him, that sanctification should not take a lifetime. That sanctification can be accomplished in a very short period of time after the initial conversion. Now, I know the scriptures teach a total crucifixion when we are converted. But I also recognize by dealing many years with people that that usually is not the case. Usually there is a partial overcoming and then there is a continuing with pride, continuing with anger, continuing with contentions, and perhaps even other sin. And of course, a guilty conscience opens the door for a more guilty conscience. So how do we come to a place in our heart and in our life where we finally say, enough, I'm done. We start by faith, and we end by white-knuckle hard work. And it's at that point where many people have walked away from the prayer chapel and said, I can't overcome all my sin. It's not necessary. Jesus has me covered with imputed grace. No, he does not. what they're really saying is we don't want to fully die. We don't want to give up our life. We want to keep our wonderful life and we want to add Jesus to that wonderful life so that we can go out and make our money and have our lifestyle and enjoy the things of the world that are innocent. But I don't want to totally belong to Jesus. Now, there is one aspect that I think is the primary guardian of our sin life, if there be such. I have struggled with this. I have done battle with this. Until finally, the Lord is changing me. I want to show you what it is. In the 13th chapter of 1 Samuel we find that that samuel has anointed saul as king of israel he has his introductory issues settled and now jonathan stirs up a hornet's nest by going after the philistine outpost and the philistines respond in great power because they want to destroy this new king of Israel. And so they send 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers, soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And of course, they're all carrying swords and Israelites are not carrying swords. The Philistines have made sure that they have no swords. In fact, they even have to go to the Philistines to sharpen their their metal instruments like their scythes. Now the men of Israel who followed Saul sees how critical this situation is, and how their life is so much at risk, and so many go and hide in caves and thickets among the rockets rocks, in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even cross into the land of the Philistines. Well, Saul was told to go to Gilgal and to wait for seven days. The troops that are with him are quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men had begun to scatter, they were deserting. Now, this is 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. Verse 9, so he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Now he was not to do that because he was not a priest or a prophet. Jesus Christ is king, priest, prophet. But now those functions were Severely separated. And it was not up to Saul to offer the burnt offering, but rather to obey the prophet and the priest and to wait on Samuel. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrives, and Saul goes out to greet him. Samuel's first words... What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering. So it's the men's fault because they're scattering. That you did not come at the set time. It's your fault. It's your fault, Samuel. Not my fault. It's your fault. That the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. It's the Philistines' fault that I didn't obey. I thought. Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled. To offer burnt offerings. In other words. I did what I had to do. To save the nation. Now. Please hear what I'm going to try to say to you. And it's hard to say without arousing the very thing I'm speaking of. All sin is surrounded by an army in our hearts. And that army is for defensive purposes. So the defense is, it's not my fault. I know I've done wrong, but it's not my fault. It's the men's fault. It's your fault. It's the Philistines' fault. It's somebody's fault, but it's not my fault. I feel like I became a pro at this at some point in my life where someone would come to me and and say something that I didn't like them to say to me, and I would in some way quickly find a way to turn that around and make them the guilty one. So I came out looking and smelling like a rose. Not my fault. Your fault. You did it. If we want to deal with the sin that still rides in our heart, we're going to have to come to that crisis sanctification point where we finally are willing to say, no, it's not anybody's fault but mine. Nobody forced me to do it. I did it for my own reasons. I said it for my own reasons. I acted for my own heart. Before sin can be dealt with, there has to be an honest repentance. But before repentance can take place, there has to be an honest admission that this is my problem. This is my responsibility. I chose. I did it. One man said to me, Pastor, I'm always falling into sin. I'm tempted by what people say to me. I'm tempted by my friends. I'm tempted here. I'm tempted there. And all I did, I couldn't help myself. I just went along with it. Wrong. We never fall into sin. We jump into sin. We intentionally decide, I have to defend myself here. I have to protect myself from this accusation, whether it's from a husband or a wife or a friend or a church or a pastor. I have to defend myself. I can't let this go. It'll kill me. It'll destroy my reputation. It'll cause me to be... And so I hide my sin... and where there is a hiding of sin behind defenses. You cannot be blessed by God. It's when we come out in the open and we are defenseless that the Lord Jesus offers us mercy. If we are part of the church And you are, and I am. There has to come a place where we finally are willing to recognize our deadness. And I have recognized in my own soul a deep, deep root of hopelessness, of discouragement. Well, I'm not talking about being discouraged about the church or discouraged about the radio broadcast. I'm talking about just a very deep, inner, painful place of being disappointed with my life. Well, that disappointment can easily cause me to set up a defensiveness about my life. Oh, look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. Look how people treat me. No. Oh, I just have to have faith in Jesus. Yes, but no. That uh, deep inner place of disappointment with my life, I have to remove the defenses and say the truth is I have not been as faithful and honest to Jesus as he called me to be. And I have to come to a crisis point because, see, disappointment with my life is then always connected to some sin that allows me to feel better about myself. For the Laodiceans, it was, hey, just be comfortable. Be happy. Jesus loves you. You're on your way to heaven. You're saved in spite of your true heart condition. Don't worry about it. You're good to go. No, you're not. No, you're not. And I've had to be, and I have been dealing very honestly with this issue in my own heart. You see, when a man reaches 50 years of age, there's a major work that he begins to engage in. And you wives who are married to a man who's 50 years of age or more, you need to consider that This work is what is going on in your husband's heart, whether he talks about it or not. And in our age, it's also something that goes on in women's hearts. And that is, I'm old, and I don't see how I can accomplish the dreams of my youth. And there has to become a a peace between my broken dreams and my current reality. The way I've been dealing with that is recognizing that those dreams, the bucket list, what I want to be, what I want to do, how much money I want to make, what success level I expect of myself, all of those things have to be bunched together and recognized that they flowed out of pride in my heart. And now it's time to put that pride away. And now the crisis comes in every man and every woman's life. It can be driven by what I'm describing now, but it can be driven also by continuing to commit sexual sin as a comfort to a person's heart. It can be a lust for money. It can be a lust for for stuff that make me look like I'm successful. The house, the car, the clothes, the lifestyle. It can be bitterness and anger, cursing. It can be wild living and wild parties but you have to come to a place in your heart and in your life where you say, enough is enough. And the crisis is then on. The final sanctification of a Christian usually does not happen. And you understand sanctification meaning to be made holy. That sanctification usually does not take place until there is a severe crisis in that man or woman's life, in their heart, where finally the excuses don't work anymore. You're tired of being crazy. Some of you escape into being crazy, acting crazy, jumping, moving, going, 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 going. Some of you deal with it by slumping down in total discouragement, and then you get into total depression. Some of you deal with it by just being a goer. Go, 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 go. Shop, 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 particularly women. And some of you deal with it by going to the YouTube and the TikTok and the movies and the uglies. But finally, the word of God gets through to you. You've known it all along, but you just have not wanted to surrender. I mean, here's here's Saul. Samuel says to him, you acted foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. It's a very serious thing not to hear and obey the commands of the Lord. And the command of the Lord is, Be holy even as I am holy. You can't be holy with your sin. You can't be holy with your defensiveness. Some of you are very defensive with your husbands or with your wives. If they say the wrong thing, woo, they meet a steel wall. Backtalk. Back talk is one of the worst aspects of the defensiveness of a man's heart. Always proclaiming his innocence. Always making it look like it's somebody else's fault. And sometimes you just cut people off. Why? Because you've judged them. Why have you judged them? Because you don't like what they have exposed in your own heart, in your own anger, in your own pride, in your own self-righteousness. And so you say, I'm going to get away from that person. I'm not going to be around somebody who's, Who's exposing how I really am and how I really think and feel? At some point in your life, you're going to have to drop your religious defense and say, Lord, can I finally come and just deal honestly with you? Can I lay aside my pride? Would you remove this from me, O God? See, you're going to have to deal with your defensiveness before you can get to the sin to deal with it. Because we as Americans have learned to be very well protected. We know how to push people away, we know how to hide. I remember my dad giving Bible studies to a family. And as he began to present the truth of the gospel, that they had to leave their sin. They began to give excuses. And I said, I didn't go with my dad one night. I usually did. I said, Daddy, what happened tonight? He said, well, I dug them out from behind one stump and they ran and hid behind another stump. (laughs) He said, I've been digging them out from behind the stumps forever. I'm tired of it. I'm waiting for Jesus to tell me I can stop digging them out behind stumps and either leave them or have them follow Jesus. Well, he's right. As a pastor, I've spent most of my life trying to dig people out from behind their stumps and they'll cop an attitude and they'll get mad and they'll say, Pastor, you can't say that to me. Okay. You're behind your little stump protecting yourself and your sin. You've got your defenses up sky high. There's one man at the National Prayer Chapel, I won't name him, This one man, he came out of Hinduism. I really love this man because he had so many sins in his life. He had so many hidden places in his life. But as those hidden places would be exposed, he'd get really mad. He'd say, I'm not coming back. You can't talk to me like that, pastor. This following Jesus doesn't work. It's too hard. I don't want it. I'm taking a break. You won't see me again for a while. (laughs) And he'd disappear. And then after a while, I'd get a phone call from him and he'd say, Pastor, I've repented. You were right. I've got to leave this behind. I can't go to the strip joint anymore. I can't go to the clubs, I've got to leave my alcohol, I've got to... And he began step by step, cutting off the sins of his heart. Why do I love this man so? Because sometimes it takes a 2 before over his head to get him out from behind his stump. But when he's out from behind his stump, he admits he's wrong, and he changes his position. And it's so refreshing in this day of utter defensiveness and deception to see a man who will earnestly seek after God and honestly admit his own sin. Well, if we look a step further, we find that that Saul is sent on a mission to destroy the Amalekites because of what they have done to the children of Israel. And so Saul attacked the Amalekites and then he took King Agag as prisoner. But he was told to destroy everyone, to kill all the Amalekites. But he doesn't. And the army spares Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs. Everything that was good, they saved. Those that were, they were unwilling to destroy, but everything that was despised and the weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I'm grieved that I made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Saul was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. This is for Samuel, the 15th chapter. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul and he, he was told Saul has gone down to Carmel and there he set up a monument in his own arm, in his own honor. What? He disobeys the word of the Lord, but he has first and foremost in his mind his self-righteousness, his honor. How can God deal with this man's sin when he is so well defended and he's lying to himself? You see, the reason sin is allowed to remain in our hearts is that we've lied to ourselves about it. We have justified it. It's, it's because that's how I was raised. It's I'm doing the best I can do, and, and God's just going to have to accept me the way I am. No, he wants entire sanctification in your life. He wants you to leave all sin, and be filled by the Holy Spirit. But because of this intense defensiveness, God can't get at our sin. Now watch. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instruction That word grieved in the Hebrew, it means to sigh loudly. Ah, look what he's done. I'm grieved. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But Saul has built himself a monument in his own honor. When Samuel reaches him, Saul says, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. No, he hasn't. He's deceived. He thinks he's walking in righteousness. Obviously, he's a Laodicean Christian. Not really. You hear what I'm saying? He's deceived. He's well defended. Samuel says, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle? And Saul answers, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. That's not what God told them to do. But you see, already Saul is positioning himself in a defensive manner. It was the soldiers who did it. I didn't do it. It was the soldiers. Never mind that he's the king, the general in charge. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Oh, tell me, please. I want to hear what God said. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he set you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wipe them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord. Totally defensive. Hiding his sin. Saul said, I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. I destroyed them all, but I I brought their king back. Totally deceived. Deceived. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Oh, well, see, God's fault. I needed to offer this to God. He was asking for sacrifices. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? To obey is a better than sacrifice, And to heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now we're almost out of time. I'm going to pick it up tomorrow right there. I want you to see this. Saul's defensiveness surrounding his sin made it impossible for him to see his sin he thought so highly of himself and he had so deceived himself as the laodicea church has oh we're okay i hear it all over the christian church in america oh we're headed for a time of great abundance everything's going great god loves us we're on our way to heaven no you're not You've been utterly deceived you you are not sanctified you are not holy you've made excuses for your wicked hearts oh my lord i don't know how to even talk about this very well i plead your mercy I plead that the double talk the sin of the American church where we think by speaking that we have actually done what we speak we think that we say we love Jesus and that means we love Jesus while we continue to disobey him and walk in our favorite sins Lord come please sanctify us entirely Bring us, bring the American church into such a crisis in this year, 2023. Bring us into such a crisis that we will have to let our defenses be destroyed and come and repent before you and be be changed. Lord, have your way. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, as we face this new year, the month of December is paid for. And now we're working on this new year, January. I'd love to get a head start on this. You're welcome to write to me, Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. You can also find the podcasts and the videos. My brother, my sister, it's time for the deception of our hearts to be put away. And it's time for the defensiveness to be removed that the Spirit of God can have clear access to our hearts. I'm praying for you. I love you with all my heart. Thank you for walking with me. Rodney, Dirk, and many others, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.